Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. It is great to have you here with us. My name is John Perrine. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Lincoln Park, and it is wonderful to have you here at Community. We are a church of multiple expressions, multiple locations all across Chicagoland, and we know some of you are here from some of our other locations. It's great to have you here with us this Father's Day, because it is Happy Father's Day. I just want to acknowledge Father's Day, much like Mother's Day, is not always easy for everyone, but it is a great chance to just take an opportunity to reflect if you haven't sent that that text yet uh, to your father or you know they don't need much just something simple that's all that's all they need maybe even like a hey thank you and then you move on from that moment I also have to make this joke because I made it at Mother's Day you know it's so great to see so many parents here uh, your kids come to church all the time they're here every Sunday just like this morning it's so great to just always be together um, this weekend is there's so much happening uh, on Monday, we have Juneteenth. I wanted to wish you an official happy Juneteenth. Um, Juneteenth is celebrating Galveston, Texas, 1866. Over 150 years ago, the announcement, the proclamation, two years before Abraham Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation, and yet it had not yet been uh, enacted in Texas. And this was the moment, this Monday, when the final word was sent that all slaves in the United States were free. It is probably one of the most profound Christian uh, moments that you can imagine in our nation's history, the proclamation of freedom everywhere. And so I just wanna encourage you tomorrow, celebrate. I know some of us are off work. Uh, take a moment to reflect, read up on it if you haven't. We have a number of exciting things happening here at our location. I've got them up on the screen. Uh, long story short, July, we're gonna do some fun stuff here in the city. If you're looking to connect with us, if you haven't yet joined a small group, most of our small groups slow down in the summer, but we're gonna have some fun times in the park. However, this upcoming week, we have a very uh, exciting opportunity to connect. I'm gonna put summer serve up on the screen. There is a QR code, you can pull out your phones right now. It's totally acceptable. And we've got three uh, key ways to serve. Tuesday night at Lincoln Park Community Services is already full. So uh, no stress about Tuesday night. Thursday and Friday, we still have opportunities. We would love for you to help us serve City Collective, which helps rehabilitate homelessness. Uh, we're gonna go over, we're gonna help them out on Thursday. Friday, we're going back to Muneer Elementary, which is a new partnership. It's a local school. Please come talk to me, talk to anybody you see up on the stage if you're interested in connecting, especially Friday. I know we're still looking for a couple final people to be able to help us out. So we'd love for you to help. Um, the culmination of Summer Serve, even if you're not helping during the week, we would love for you to help us during the week, but even if you're not, next Sunday, just to put on your radar, remind you, if you think about it, uh, again, would love your help with this, we're going to pack lunches, sort of the culmination. One of uh, our members works with the Night Ministry, which is this amazing Chicago initiative that serves homeless, really anybody in need across the city. Such an easy way for us to partner. We put sack lunches together after next Sunday service. So if you could help us by bringing ingredients, anything to make a sandwich, you cannot fail. Literally any food that you bring will count. Uh, that will be helpful. We'll have a lot of the stuff here. The other way you could help us is next Sunday if you're with us. Stick around after the service. Uh, we did this last fall. It was just really fun, simple way to serve our city, to love our city. Uh, finally, I just wanna end by saying thank you for the generosity so many of you have offered us as a church. Our doors stay open and we are able to celebrate things like this baptism this morning. We're able to serve the city because of your generosity. And yeah, I also just wanna give an encouragement. I know for uh, some of you that we've had this really fun wave of new people these last few months. And if you're new here this morning, if you're just visiting us, 
There's no pressure on you to give. But if you're starting to call this your church home, we'd love for you to join us in this mission. You heard uh, our, my fellow pastor, Steve Clayson, say the mission of helping people find their way back to God. One of the really tangible ways you can do it, one of the ways you can grow as you follow Jesus is to practice generosity by giving back to the church. This morning, uh, before we have a baptism, you've been hearing this, I just want to confirm officially, we are going to do a baptism here of Katie Matat, who, uh, Katie, for any who don't know her, was a part of our community for about a year last year. She and her now fiance, spoiling lots of news, Sam, moved away last summer, uh, but Katie reached out to us and said, I want to get baptized and I wanna come back to you guys because you're really where I found my way back to God. So we are going to celebrate. You're gonna get a chance to hear Katie's story after the service. It's gonna be so fun. I cannot wait to celebrate that with you. However, because this morning is full of so much goodness, uh, we this morning have our co-founding pastor, John Ferguson, about to come up in a series we've done before called Kingdom Perspectives. So the idea was thrown out uh, at Community. What if, what if we actually take a chance to not just hear from one person, but could we get different cultural voices to look at the same scripture and see what happens. So go ahead and watch this bumper video and then John Ferguson's gonna come up. All right, good morning. How's it? Try that again. How's everybody doing today? Seems like, seems like good, yeah. Uh, happy Father's Day, and uh, it's been a good morning for me already. Both my kids did uh, text me, Happy Father's Day, so I don't know if you texted them, John, to tell them to do that, but either way, they did it, and so it's working out well so far. Uh, you know, I found something, though, that, you know, anytime there is a dispute, all right, good way to start the message, huh, talking about disputes, but anytime there is a dispute, uh, two sides have their own perspectives, right? Would you agree? Give me an out of the head. Are you with me? Often in a dispute, two spies have had their own perspective. Uh, if you've ever watched courtroom proceedings, maybe on TV or otherwise, you know that people have wildly different takes on the same circumstances. And uh, we saw this play out a few months back in a case involving uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and a skiing accident. Did any of you follow this crazy courtroom proceedings? Okay, some of you have no life at all, and you did follow this. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was crazy, wasn't it? How much press this got? But if you missed it, Gwyneth Paltrow uh, was sued by retired optometrist Terry Sanderson, who claimed that Paltrow crashed into him from behind on a ski slope, causing life-altering injuries. Paltrow countersued, saying that, no, it was him who ran into her. Now, from what I understand, the most riveting moment in this whole court proceeding was the conversation that Paltrow had with Sanderson's lawyer when they talked about how tall they each were and noticed the shoes that each other was wearing. Riveting, right? How did this get all this publicity? And now I'm talking about it again, right? Making it worse. Now, who crashed into who uh, seems like it could be a clear-cut fact, right? But it's interesting that these skiers had two different perspectives. And of course, it's possible that one of them was lying, but it's also possible that they both genuinely thought that the other one ran into them. So they could think that their perspective is actually true. And of course, it's not just court proceedings where this happens, right? On a very, very rare occasion, my wife, Lisa, and I will have a dispute, and we will have two very different perspectives. Very infrequent, but on occasion, it does happen. And in this case, uh, if you didn't know it, I'll spoil alert here, Paltrow actually prevailed, and she was awarded a hefty $1 settlement. I'm sure that covered the court costs, right? No, I don't think so. Uh, a similar principle, though, can also occur when it comes to Scripture. And we all bring our own 
experiences and perspectives into how we read the Bible. And on our own, we're not likely getting the whole picture, and so we need to hear from each other in order to have a full understanding. That's one of the things we love about small groups, right? We come together and we get the different perspectives of the people that are part of our group. And so that's why we're doing this series that John mentioned called Kingdom Perspectives. And during these weeks, there's three of them over the course of several months. We have one more after this. And we're exploring a particular Bible passage through the lens of three different cultural perspectives. Because we believe to truly understand and live in God's kingdom, we need to have the voice and contributions of every nation, tribe, people, and language, right? And so if you're here last time, we explored the story of the prodigal son. And if you didn't get a chance to see that, I would encourage you to look at it on demand. I think you'll find it very, very helpful. And today we're going to dig into the story of the rich young ruler, as told by Mark, who is thought to have worked with the apostle Peter, taking notes on what Peter said and taught about Jesus as a basis for this second book in the New Testament. So I'm going to share my perspective first. Now, obviously, I'm a part of the Community Christian Church, and we're a multi-location church with um, church communities all over Chicagoland. And there is a, a bit of diversity within our different locations. However, as you can see, I am a white, middle-aged male, okay? So there's Matter of fact, it was a while back, my wife and I, we did one of those tests where you could find out your, your lineage and your background. I was hoping for something a little bit interesting, only to discover I'm actually 95% English. It's the best I could do. <laughs> Very disappointing. My wife is like so many different things combined, it's not even funny. I am 95% English. Uh, having said that, though, you know, I did grow up in a, a rather diverse community uh, on the south side in the south suburbs. Then I lived in the western suburbs for a while before we moved to the city about uh, 12 years ago. And so I'm going to share my perspective on this story, but then we're going to hear from two different speakers via video who come from very different backgrounds about how their perspectives on this story, I think, might fully, more fully develop our own perspectives. And I'll introduce them briefly here. Max Beloso is lead pastor at Frontline Worship Center in the Philippines. He leads a multi-network of churches in that part of the world. And Max is based in San Pablo City. It's surrounded by 83 rural villages. I know some of you have actually been to the Philippines, have visited this church, and he has a vision to reach people in places that nobody else is, is uh, reaching right now and starting new churches all over that part of the world. An amazing, amazing pastor. Then we're going to hear from Watson Jones, and Watson Jones is a friend of mine. He's executive pastor at Salem Baptist Church, one of the largest churches in the city on the south side. He's executive pastor. He was also founding pastor of a new church in Philadelphia called Restoration Church, which interestingly enough, his church planting journey was chronicled on NPR's This American Life cool backstory on that. He thought it was a Christian podcast when they first approached him about that. And so he starts sharing all this amazing stuff. If you get a chance, look it up. It's really fascinating. He's also pursuing a PhD in African-American preaching and sacred rhetoric. Watson's a, an amazing communicator. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin with a reading of this scripture. And so here we go. This is the story of the rich, rich young ruler. Mark 10, verse 17 to 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, 
All these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. All right, that story that we just uh, heard read appears in all three books of the first of the New Testament. Mark tells us uh, that this young man was rich. Matthew describes him as young, and Luke describes him as a, lo- uh, a ruler. Thus, he's known as the, help me out, rich, young ruler. Right, yeah. So, I mean, he's wealthy, right? He's um, young, and he's influential. I mean, it's hard to imagine a better combination in some ways, right? I mean, this guy seems uh, to have it all. And this rich young ruler appears uh, to even be sincere because he runs out to Jesus with this question, falls to his knees. I mean, imagine the posture that he's taking, all right? And he asks this question that's clearly burning on his heart, and the question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And as I thought about this and pondered this over the course of the past week or so, I would say that this man is asking a question that many of us, even 2,000 years later, are still asking. And I would even push it a little bit further and say, maybe even more so for those of us who live where we live, right here in the city of Chicago. Stay with me on this, okay? I I think many of us choose to live here, right, where we live, because we love it, right? It's a great place to live. I mean, well, at least May through December, right? Okay, I'll give you a winter, maybe not so much. but I love this place. I love the food. I love the people. I love the sports teams. I love the lakefront. I mean, there's so much to love about where we live, right? And I think where we live also offers incredible opportunities, right? Opportunities to advance, you know, in your career, achieve success, meet some, you know, interesting people, maybe even find that special someone. And so consequently, I would say that living where we live can at times cause one to feel like a little extra pressure, right? A little extra kind of, you know, like, yeah, I got to succeed. I got I to do well, right? And so I would say this question this man is asking is very familiar to nearly every one of us. How do I know if I'm good enough? I mean, how do I know if I'm good enough? I mean, I've known many people who wrestle with this question, myself included, 
And I think it's a question that can actually touch, if you think about almost every area of our life. I mean, in a relationship, if in a relationship, we often ask, am I lovable enough, right? When we look in the mirror, we ask, am I pretty enough? Am I young enough? Am I strong enough? When it comes to our intellect, we wonder, am I smart enough? And of course, when it comes to God, it usually sounds like this, am I good enough? Or how can I know if I'm good enough? I think somewhere along the line, there's a good chance that many, maybe even most of us, were taught that you know, Jesus gave up his life in order to save us, right? But we didn't really buy the fact that his sacrifice was the full payment. Let me say that again. I think a lot of us at some point probably either heard or maybe were taught that you know, Jesus died to, to, to give us the opportunity to experience eternal life, to pay for our sins might even be how you've heard it. But I don't know that we really bought the fact that his sacrifice was the full payment. And it kind of reminds me of uh, when Lisa and I, we uh, bought our first house. This was a few years back. Uh, my parents were gracious enough to give us the down payment, which was incredibly generous. Now, we, we paid them back later, but they gave us the money for a down payment. And then for the next 30 years, though, we knew we were going to be making payments every single month to ensure that we could stay in that house, right? The down payment was great, but we had to pay every month. And see, I think sometimes we view our relationship with God kind of like that. You know, sure, Jesus made the down payment, but boy, we got to keep making payments, right, ourselves to ensure that we're good enough and that we don't mess up too much so that we can stay. I don't, does that, that kind of sound familiar to some of you? See, I think a lot of us walking around hoping that we're doing enough good and avoiding enough bad, right, to stay on good terms with God. And so here's what I think is so critical about this interaction between this man and Jesus. See, this rich young ruler doesn't yet understand fully what Jesus is offering. And look at how Jesus tries to get through to him, okay? Take a look. Mark 10, 19, Jesus responds to his question. When the man asks, how do I know if I'm good enough? Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the man responds, I've done all that. Check the boxes, right? I'm good. Now, if I were Jesus at this point, I probably would have called time out and said, wait, really? You've been perfect ever since you were a child. Seriously? That's not what he does. And I love this part of this story because Jesus looks at this young man with loving affection. And then he says to him, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Now, nowhere else does Jesus ever, ever say giving everything away is a condition of following him. Nowhere. So what's going on here, right? See, I think Jesus is trying to help our rich young friends see that he is asking the wrong question. I think he's trying to help him and us see that he is asking the wrong question. Being good enough is not the way to experience eternal life. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus is intentionally challenging him with something that is absolutely impossible for him to do. After all, how could anyone ever possibly give away everything, right? Every bit of clothing, every object, everything you own, all the food that you have. No, that's, that's impossible, right? I mean, I don't think Jesus wants a bunch of his followers walking around naked, Right? And so could it be, let me just pose this, could it be that Jesus is trying to help this young man understand that he can never be good enough to earn his love? 
You see, trying to be good enough is not the way to the life that Jesus wants for him. But the rich young ruler, he just can't see it. He just can't see it. And scripture says, he goes away sad. Maybe one of the saddest phrases in all of scripture. He goes away sad. He just can't see it. And the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, they don't get it either. When Jesus turns to them and laments that it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, the disciples are amazed and they exclaim, well, well, who then can be saved? Because you see, in that day, people viewed wealth as an indicator of God's blessing and approval. If you had lots of money and lots of possessions, it was probably because you'd been good and God was blessing you. But you know what? If we're being honest, deep down, I think we still believe that today. Most of us, maybe somewhat secretly, feel like our good deeds should result in a life of blessing. I fall prey to that all the time. So aren't the disciples then, in effect, making the same mistake as the rich young ruler? Don't they also seem to believe that what a person does can qualify them for the kingdom of God, that a person could be good enough to make that on their own merit? And Mark tells us in response to the disciples' question, Jesus looks at them. (laughs) I would love to know exactly what that look was like. He looks at them, and then he reminds them that eternal life is dependent on what God does, not on what you do. And then I wonder if there was some irony in the look that Jesus gave them. For these men who were wondering how someone could be saved were already saved themselves. Think about that. And how? Well, they followed Jesus. They put their trust in him. Their allegiance was clearly to the kingdom of God. It wasn't their efforts to be good enough, to somehow make payments, if you will, on their own that made them right with God and able to stay in his kingdom. It's all about the grace God freely offered through Jesus. Sidebar, too. Don't let anyone ever tell you this story means that Jesus doesn't love people with means. The opposite is true here. Jesus looked at this rich young man and loved him. Not any more than anybody else, not any less than anybody else, but Jesus looked at this man and loved him. See, the problem with the rich man is the same problem almost all of us have. We think somehow we can earn our way into God's good graces by being good enough. And the good news is this. No one inherits eternal life or enters the kingdom of God on their own efforts. It's not about what we do. It's about what God has already done through Jesus' death, resurrection for you And for me, when he came back to life, we enter the kingdom of God when we respond to what God has done and we choose to follow Jesus. The apostle Paul put it this way in a letter to some Christians in a city called Ephesus. He said, for it is by grace you have been saved. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. So there's nothing you can brag about because it's nothing you did. Well, that's one perspective on the story of the rich young ruler. Now we're going to hear from Max and Watson. Enjoy this. Today I am privileged to share something with you from the story of the rich young ruler. And the story of the rich young ruler is one of the most interesting and well-known passages in the Bible. It is a fascinating passage of scripture that I would encourage you 
to read all the way through because it has a powerful message for us today. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 31, Jesus is approached by a man only identified as a rich young ruler. And we can see that this man had it all together. He was young, he was rich, had power, and was probably good-looking. He had it all. But his question reveals that he is missing something. According to Mark chapter 10, verse 17, he approached Jesus and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question from someone who thinks uh, he has it all, but he doesn't. And that's why he asked Jesus, especially about eternal life. We know that every good Jew already know the answer. To get eternal life, you obey the commands of God and avoid sin. And he did those requirements. So why he is asking? The rich young ruler has done everything right. Even, even Jesus confirms that in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, when he looked at him and loved him. One thing you love, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the rich young ruler thought he had it all. He worked hard and had a lot of money. He kept all God's laws faithfully. In essence, uh, what he was doing was trying to earn his way into heaven. And Jesus is saying to the rich young ruler, you have put your faith and trust in your wealth and accomplishment, but your effort is actually pushing you away from God. You cannot earn your way into heaven. And we know the story ends with the rich young ruler going away sad. And the original translation from Greek word is lupeo, which translates better as grief. And that same word is used when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was grieved in great distress. Why? Because he knew what he was about to face. He knew that he was about to experience separation from his father for the first time in his life. And when Jesus called this young man to give up his money, the man started to grieve because money was for him the center of his identity. And after the rich young ruler leaves, Jesus turned to his disciple and says the very interesting and confusing phrase about the camel go through the eye of the needle. He said, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 10 verse 25. And we know that Jesus is talking about the gates that were common in his day. And they have small openings. And to get a camel to go through it, you had to take the load off and patiently the camel, help the camel to go through. And it was hard, but not impossible. And Jesus is using a metaphor to make a point. There's no way this rich young ruler or anyone can save themselves. And when he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And the answer is nothing. You can't. You can't. No one can save themselves. It's impossible. He came from a culture where wealth is a reward. And Jesus is saying that 
It's not about how much money you have or how good you are. But it's about recognizing your need for Him. Because salvation is free gift that can only be received by faith, not by works or good behavior. And the rich young ruler's possessions had become his idol and his source of security and identity. And he couldn't let them go to follow Jesus. You know, we, we can learn from the rich young ruler's story that our faith and trust should be in God alone and not in our possessions or accomplishments. And this is particularly relevant in our culture that places a high value on material wealth and success. In the Philippines, for example, many people are not wealthy, but there is a strong desire to attain riches and status. And this can lead to focusing on wanting to acquire material things and neglect the spiritual and moral values. Additionally, Filipinos not, not, you know, not be rich in wealth, but for sure we are rich in many beliefs and practices that can distract from a true relationship with God. And this includes a focus on superstitions or reliance on traditional religious practices and an emphasis on external displays of being religious. And the story of the rich young ruler reminds us that true salvation in eternal life cannot be earned or bought through material wealth or religious rituals. It is only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, that we can receive the gift of eternal life and find true fulfillment and purpose in this life. In closing, while I might not have great wealth or material possession to offer to give to the poor, but there was a time in my life that I was rich and religious beliefs. For many years, I held on to these beliefs, thinking that they alone would secure my place in eternal life. I obediently follow, follow tradition and rituals, but deep down, I know that something missing. It was only when I encountered Jesus that I discovered what had been lacking. He filled the emptiness in my life and gave me a sense of purpose and direction. Today, I challenge you to examine your own beliefs and ask yourself if they are truly bringing you closer to Jesus. Question is, what is holding you back from knowing Him intimately and following Him wholeheartedly? Let us be willing to give up anything that hinder us from experiencing the eternal life that He offers. Thank you, and it is a great joy to be sharing with you today from the Philippines. God bless. It was on his album, To Pimp a Butterfly, where Kendrick Lamar tells a story of a homeless man in South Africa that accosted him for a dollar. When this man asks him for this money, Kendrick rejects him with an emphatic no. The man continues to press him, but Kendrick's resentment begins to boil over and spill over as the man begins to berate him for this dollar. You gotta understand, Kendrick had worked hard. He had hustled hard to make his money, and he had gained it all by holding on to it, and he wasn't about to give it up for anybody. 
And it is after a back and forth with this homeless man that this man begins to tell Kendrick something about himself that he wasn't expecting, that this man was God. It was God asking him for this money. Then he asks, how much does a dollar really cost? There are some things in this life that mean far too much to us. We just can't seem to part ways with them for anything or for anyone or for any reason. And this is precisely the question that God tackles today. We aren't willing to part ways with some things in order to follow him just a little more closely. Jesus in this text is stopped by a wealthy ruler while on his quick journey to picking up his own cross. And this wealthy ruler stops Jesus and he raises a question. He says, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus tells him, you already know the answer to that. Obey the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Take care of your parents and honor them. And, and like the wealthy of this man's culture, he believed that his riches, his land, and his power were God's reward for him for his piety. And so this man very proudly puffs out his chest and he says, I've already done this. And Jesus looks at this man and he recognizes that there is something strong that has this man in a spiritual chokehold and it's his wealth. And it's in this moment that Jesus looks at him with immense love and deep compassion. And Jesus says, yeah, you've done all these things, but there's still one thing that you lack. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He says, don't bank it. Don't invest it. Don't store it up for a rainy day. I want you to take everything you have, liquidate it all and give it to the poor. Give it to those you believe are lazy and shiftless. Those you believe are unfavored by God. Give it to those you feel didn't work as hard as you to get what you've got. Give it to them. Give it to the ones who suffer and carry the brunt when you and your fellow aristocrats compromise with the oppressive powers. Give it to them. Give it to the ones who occupy your land and are left at the mercy of you and your partners. Give it to them. Give it to the ones who you feel aren't worthy of anything but your charity and your alms. Give it to them. Empower them. Give it to them. If you want to be free, and if you really want to follow me, you have to let it all go. I, I, wish, I wish that you could see this man's face change. It, it moves from pride to deflation, from, from joy to sadness. And this man goes away heartbroken because he simply could not do it. This man was wealthy with land. He, he was raised high by his money to the top of society. His wealth gave him power and it gave him privilege. And, it, and the money that he had, the land that he had, if he lost it, he would lose his power. He would lose his privilege and, and he would become just like those he gives his alms to. And he couldn't afford to see all that he had worked for and all that he might have earned through an inheritance. He could not afford to see it lost. He couldn't see that land pass to that man or that woman that he simply throws coins to on his way to the temple. And so Jesus says to this man, as he goes away to his disciples, he says, it's really hard for the wealthy to enter God's kingdom, isn't it? Now, Jesus wasn't standing here because he was against wealthy people. There were rich people that supported him. There were rich people that would support his church. Jesus was getting at something deeper. It, it was the fact 
that this man and those like him felt it easy to obey commands, but difficult to fully depend on God. It was much easier for this man and others like him to practice ritual than it was for them to give up everything to follow Jesus. Here's, here's the idea that this text wants to challenge us with. The cost to follow Jesus requires a radical trust that is willing to relinquish anything for him at any time. This is precisely where this text finds us, isn't it? In the Church of America, it is easier for Jesus to have our lips in the songs we sing over the lives and the way we live them. It is easier for Jesus to have our souls, but he can't actually have everything. We really won't give up everything for him. We, we prefer what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls a cheap grace. And this is when we can sing about how amazing grace is, but stop short of laying our crowns down at the feet of Jesus. Not, not in a figurative way, but a literal way. This, this is a grace without a cross. It's hard for us to truly be witnesses in the world because our power, our privilege, and our possessions get in the way of what it means to truly follow Jesus. Yet Jesus came, and now you need to know it, that Jesus didn't give part of himself. Jesus gave all of himself. Jesus gave it all and all to him we owe. This is every part of our lives. This is our hearts, our souls, our body, our strength, but it's also being willing to give up possessions. We have to be willing and ready to give up anything that Jesus calls us to when he calls for it. And this breaks us past empty charity to sharing what we have. This, this leads to a radical dependence on God and a radical generosity for others. This leads us to giving up whatever we have to build Jesus's kingdom and to serve people with good works. And when we do this, we find real life as Jesus promises in that text. My friend one day took his family to Disney. His daughter was upset because she didn't get to see Mickey Mouse. She had gone all this way, all this time, just to see Mickey and Minnie. And so my friend, to kind of compensate for what she lost, bought her a stuffed Mickey and a stuffed Minnie. She treasured both of them. But one day she would see the real Mickey and the real Minnie. And in order for her to be able to enjoy the real one, she had to discard the fake one. Jesus is challenging us in this text that he would later say to his disciples in this very text that anybody who is willing to give up all, who is willing to forsake family and loved ones and friends and connections and prestige and power and privilege and possession and jobs, that those who are willing to give those up for Jesus find the real thing in Jesus and they get the real and the better in this life and the next. So the question that I pose to you today is how much does a dollar really cost? Amen. Wow. Um, just such a powerful exercise, isn't it? To be able to hear uh, John open up for us our own hearts, to be able to hear what goodness really means to Jesus, and yet then to see Max up there say to us, like, hey, I come from a land of poverty, and yet my people are struggling with all of our own ways that we try to get God to be favorable to us, then to have Watson bring it home. Man, um, this journey uh, for the rich young ruler really culminates in this moment where he is invited to respond. 
And so for us, uh, we're really excited to go to a baptism. I know we're going just a couple minutes late here at this point. Uh, but as we were talking about the service this morning, we wanted to make sure that we came to this table, table of communion, because this table is every Sunday for us the same moment of encounter and invitation that this rich young ruler has with Jesus. It's a moment where you can bring nothing with you, right? You've got nothing that gives you access. There's no good deeds we're checking as you come forward. There's no checklist you can pass. Instead, it is Jesus offering everything and you needing nothing as you come with empty hands to receive the bread and the juice. So to remember this moment, we have bread. We remember the night when Jesus sat with his disciples and he looked at them and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Jesus also would take the cup and he would say, this is my blood about to be shed on the cross for you so that you would need to bring nothing and God would give you everything. We're going to invite you now to come forward. You can cup your hands. We'll place the bread into your hands. Uh, you can eat it right there on the spot, or you can take it back to your seat. You then also can come get a cup with us. Uh, we'll have two servers over here and two sitting here, and then we'll go ahead and have a, a short time of worship before we move to this baptism. Well, it is my great privilege and honor to get to read Katie's testimony today. If you want to just sit down where you are, baptism is such a beautiful moment for us to declare and gather around Katie as she declares that Jesus is Lord of her life. There's just something so beautiful that happens as you enter the water and sin is washed away and then you are come up and made a new creation in Christ. So it is my great joy, as Katie has been part of our community, to get to read her testimony as she found her way back to God here at Community Lincoln Park. So let's read it. 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's been the number one thing that I've learned on my spiritual journey, that I don't have to take on the world alone. I can rest my troubles, worries, and burdens upon a power greater than myself, one that I call God and His Son, Jesus and Holy Spirit. I stopped attending church when I was around 12, thinking sleeping in was a better use of time. I became more and more independent, slowly rejecting the concept of God and thinking I could do everything myself. I moved to Chicago in 2012 when I was 18 to go to school. Throughout those years, I had everything under control and I had it made, besides one thing. My weight and battle with binge eating and anorexia was getting worse and worse. And by early 2021, I was absolutely at a breaking point, going in and out of extreme binge and restrict cycles, deeply trying to control my weight and eating. But the more I tried, the worse it got. I had just left a long-term relationship, was working a grueling job at the airport and truly felt hopeless and alone. I just couldn't escape my disorder and troubles and thought there was no way out besides ending my life. I thought of doing this often. My life became unmanageable. God gave me the gift of desperation and through him was able to transform me. During this difficult time in my life, brought, God brought me the absolute man of my dreams and he slowly wanted to bring God into my life. First, we watched some service live streams together on Sundays. And after moving to Lincoln Park, we decided to attend Community Christian Church. I was so nervous and practically in tears walking through the double doors. The kindness, love, and acceptance I experienced was overwhelming. And I knew this was a special place. I quickly joined a small group as well as Alpha and a support and recovery group that meets virtually in Plainfield. I also joined a 12-step program to help me manage my disorder. One day at a time, by surrendering my disease to a power greater than myself, providing service and getting a sponsor, I am able to arrest my illness in life and become manageable again and worth living. Around spring of 2022, I was praying and meditating as I try to do every morning and Jesus was there in my heart. It wasn't this big thunder and lightning moment, but he was there. He had been knocking and knocking and one day the door slowly creaked open enough for him to enter. Today, I choose to reaffirm my commitment to following Christ and forever know that I can rest my yoke on a power greater than myself. And I wanna thank everyone who's been a part of my journey. And even though I've moved away from this church, this is where I found my way back to God. My life is now beyond my wildest dreams and I truly have never been happier and more at peace with God by my side as I carry his yoke instead of mine.